A man approached him and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The man said, Which ones? Jesus said, Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The young man replied, I've kept all these. What am I still missing? Jesus said, if you want to be complete, go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away saddened because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. When his disciples heard this, they were stunned. Then who can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible for human beings, but all things are possible for God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. I, I hope that everybody recognizes that we live in an edited world. Did you know that? Like, if you turn on your TV, everything you see on TV, even if it's labeled reality TV, is edited. If you look in a magazine, guess what? It's edited. If you watch a video clip on social media, pretty sure it's edited to hear and to show what you want to do. And I would say that we live in this edited world, and that feeds in to our idea of perfection. We've been talking about not perfect and perfection. And one of the things that the media and the world around us actually feeds into is this concept of perfection. And remember, this, this definition of uh, the cultural definition of perfection is this, conforming absolutely to the description or definition of an ideal type. Conforming absolutely to an ideal type. So I want to talk today a little bit about our edited world when it comes to body image. So think about Barbie. I gave my daughters Barbies when they were growing up, right? Now the Barbie on the left here is what Barbie really looks like, right? I had two daughters, their Barbies would be scribbled on, heads would pop off, arms would come off, they would lay around in all kinds of contorted states around the room, right? That's what Barbie really looks like, right? Now the Barbie on the right, that's the edited version of Barbie. That's the Photoshop version of Barbie is what I'm saying, right? But we look at Barbie as like the image, the ideal, the perfect body image. And if you actually were to uh, do an experiment and actually pull out those body, that you actually lived body, if you made your body into the, the dimensions of Barbie, you would have a very distorted body because it's not realistic. In fact, if you look at, in magazines, if you look in movies, everything about our body image is edited, it's photoshopped. And then that begins to feed into our understanding of what it is to have the perfect body, the ideal body. 
they found out that one in every four television commercials conveys what they call an attractiveness message, meaning you're not attractive enough, you're not good enough body image enough. They found that American, and, and part of that image of attractiveness in culture and in media is towards extreme thinness, like bar, the Barbie doll. And then also, if you think about it, American teen sees 5,260 attractive me- attractiveness messages every year. Messages from the media, messages on social media, messages in magazines saying, you need to look like this. You need to be this edited version of the perfect person, the perfect body. And then if you look at even young men, they find that young men who read fitness magazines become, the more often they read them, the more dissatisfied they become with their own bodies because they see this ideal type, this attractive image, and they, want, they feel how, they sense how inadequate they are. They say that 74% of articles about fitness are about attractiveness, not about health. Think about that. That most of, we're told to be fit, we're told to be, work out, we're told to go to the gym, but it's to become more attractive, thin, this ideal perfect body image, rather than be healthy. That's the message we're sent. That there's this ideal body that you and I are supposed to have and that is unrealistic. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Let's just admit that. It's, it's not this ideal of the perfect body is unrealistic for 99.9% of us, right? But yet we strive for that perfection, some more than others. And then some of us moms have babies, So moms, let me ask a question. Did your body change after you had children? (laughs) Was there something different? You know, did things... Now, I I was able to... uh, My wife gave birth to children. I was able to be there for both their births. And I look back, but if you think about it, I didn't... I look at those moments and I would say they're miracles. That God created this mom's body to give birth to life. And we call it a miracle. We, call, we shouldn't be calling them mom bodies, right? <laughs> That's what we say, dad. He's got a dad bod. He's got a mom bod. He's rocking the dad bod. He's rocking the mom bod, right? Maybe she's rocking the miracle bod. Maybe her body was created by a creator to give life. And that's the beauty. And that's the miracle. You see, the world will get us to try and look at something we'll never attain and make us feel less than ourselves because of this image of perfection rather than seeing the beauty and really the devotion, right? The devotion. I mean, a mom gives her body to her child, literally gives her body to give life. And she gives up sleep (laughs) and she gives up uh, exercise, and she gives up a lot of times eating right, right? All those things we're told to do, a mom gives up to bring life. And so she moves from maybe this ideal, idea of attraction to this idea of devotion to her children, right? And that's exactly, you're kind of like, what, where's he going with all this? I'm getting there. I'm just taking you on a little journey to see that we can either pursue attraction or we can pursue devotion. That's what Jesus is talking about in the passage. He's saying, 
rich young ruler, rich young man, you have been attracted to wealth and all these things in the world. You've been attracted to these things, and you can pursue these things. But if you want to be devoted to God, you've got to let go of your attraction to these things to become devoted to me. And what is more valuable to you, young person? Is attraction more valuable to you or devotion more valuable to you? And if you really want to be completely devoted, here's a hard lesson. If you want to be completely devoted, Jesus says, if you want to be complete, that's that word, if you remember you were here last week, we talked about this Greek word teleos. Teleos, the first three letters tell, come from the same word we use for telescope, right? Telescope. And so tell means to reach the end. And so you think of it as an old-fashioned telescope, a, a pirate spyglass for the, from the uh, old days. And what it means is when you, the tell or the teleos is to reach the end, to be complete, to reach maturity. That's what perfection is. And so Jesus is saying to the, to the rich young person, he's saying, if you want to be complete, teleos, reach the end of mature generosity and devotion, then go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That last four, those last four words are important. Come follow. This is about devotion. It's about letting go of attract, what's attracting him to be devoted to following Jesus. This is a story of devotion. And what gets in the way of devotion and what often gets in the way of maturing in generosity. And I want to talk today about whether we're attracted to things and stuff or are we devoted to generosity in a way that God calls us to be generous. So are we maturing in generosity today? So that's, the, that's what we're talking about. Are we becoming more complete in how we handle our possessions, our wealth, our time, how are we managing all that stuff? Are we surrendering those things? Are we devoting those things to God and to other people? Or are we being attracted to things and money and stuff that takes us away from our devotion? See, that's what we wrestle with, right? So today I'm actually going to focus a little bit more on the practical side of things. So practical, I'm going to give some practical suggestions on how we can become more devoted and more generous and mature. So some things we could do to help mature us in our generosity and in our devotion to God. So here's a great opportunity if you got your app, right? We talked about the app. There's actually, if you go on your app, if you haven't downloaded, don't worry about this right now. You can pull out your bulletin, but uh, Mary, who's our communications director, she added a cool little feature on here, and it, we just, we're just trying it out this week, but if you go to your app, click on Sunday, you'll see sermon notes. Click on sermon notes, and then you'll see a basic outline of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Uh, and then there's actually, there are boxes there, and if you click, if you touch the box, you can then fill it in. If you do fill in the blank things, uh, you can do that. Or there's another section below where you can just type in notes for that week's sermon. It'll always be there for you in the app. So, Good. So just if you want to use that this morning, go for it. Uh, I hope in weeks ahead that I'm actually going to be able to do some polls because, you know, I like to ask questions in sermons. So then your app is going to be a way for you to respond, and then I'll be able to look at all your responses at one time and be able to say, oh, that's what you think as a group. So that'll be cool. Anyway, so here we are. 
So one of the things I've noticed about us as human beings and as, as Americans is that we have storage spaces. And we have a tendency to fill the storage space. So it doesn't matter how many storage spaces we have or how much storage we have or what it is, we tend to fill it. I'm not I mean, is your garage half full? No. Is your basement half full? Is your, are your cupboards half full? Is your refrigerator half full? Right, see what I'm saying? We take every single place that we store things and we fill it to the full. Because we think, what? Let's live life to the fullest, right? That's what we're told. So I think about this, that we, we're filling our storage spaces. And I want to suggest to you that the rest of the world, if the rest of the world were to comment on our storage spaces, if the rest of the world, the other 98% of the world around the globe were to come and to look in our house and we were to open up cupboard doors and open up refrigerators and open up garages and open up basements, you know what kind of comments we would get? Think about it. What would we get? What would they say about us? Waste. What? Why do you have all this or all this? Stuff, right? How many people have heard about a show called Hoarders? Why is it that we like to look at the extreme of that and not see it in ourselves, right? Because that's what we've done. We just organized our hoarding. That's all we've done, right? Let's be honest about it. Can we just be confessing today? I'm with you. I, I'm not, don't hear me saying, I'm not with you on this. <laughs> I do the same thing. Uh, uh, I came across a, a story about Jeff and his wife, Andre, and they decided uh, they spent too much money one Christmas and they overextended their credit cards. And so then they were looking at the bills in January and they're like, oh, you know, we're going to be over budget. We don't have the money to pay for our credit card. We want to pay off the debt. And so they decided, they say, what are some ways we can cut expenses this month. And so they decided to run an experiment and take the month of January and not buy any groceries. They said, we're going to just, yeah, it's funny, right? So they decided to live on the groceries they had in their freezer, their refrigerator, and in their cupboards at that moment. They said, let's run an experiment. Let's just live for the next month on what we have here. So what's in your cupboard? Here's what would be great to do a poll, right, on your app, right? So what do you think they ate, right? So they went through all the frozen stuff in their freezer, the frozen chicken, the frozen burgers, the frozen vegetables. They said they found three, five freezer-burnt lean cuisine things at the bottom of the freezer when they got to it, you know, that they ate those. Mac and cheese boxes, ramen noodles, cans of soup, beans, pancake mixes, cake mixes, brownie mixes. So they ate all these things, and they did this, Right? They went through all their food in their cows, never went to the grocery store. Said they lasted seven weeks. Seven weeks. And they gained weight. <laughs> but that says something, doesn't it? Then you and I have enough probably in our homes right now, most of us have enough in our homes to live on for seven weeks. And we gain weight in the process. We're not, we're, we are, we fill stuff, right? And then we come along and say, and here's what we tend to do. We tend to think, well, I'll get organized. I'll organize my stuff. And so what we do is we organize our stuff because if your storage spaces are like my storage spaces, it's all cluttered, right? So then I think I'm going to get organized. 
And so I organize my stuff. And then when I organize my stuff, what do I have left? More space. And then what do I do with that leftover space? I put more stuff in it. We got a problem. (laughs) We got a problem. So here's my practical advice. Don't get organized. (laughs) Stay with me. There's another part of that. Don't get organized. Get rid of your stuff. Give it away. Right? So instead of going in and trying to organize it to create more space, why not go in there and say, I'm never going to use this. Somebody, you know, have a yard sale. Take the money from that yard sale and give it away. Give the money away. Go sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Take your stuff and sell it. (laughs) Stuff that you're never going to use, stuff that you're never going to need. Go into your cupboards, my cupboards, your cupboards, where there's food in there that you're never going to eat. Take it to the food bank. Get rid of it. Give it to the poor. The clothes in your closet that you're never going to wear, put it in a bag and donate it to the clothing drive. Think about it. All those places where you and I have been storing stuff could be places of blessing for somebody else. Jesus was right. (laughs) Go sell it. Get rid of it. Because it's that attraction to all those things and keeping all those things and hoarding all those things that is actually keeping us from being generous and devoted to God and to other people. Because we spend so much of our time thinking about how to gain and get and be attracted to rather than be devoted to. So that's one thing. What about all the energy we put into filling our bank accounts? How often do we worry about our bank accounts? And I'm not just talking about the money we have in the bank. I just learned this week that a debt in America reached an all-time high right now. We have reached an all-time high in student loan debt, automobile debt, and credit card debt. We did not learn a thing from the recession in pre-2010. Since 2010, American indebtedness has gone on a steady climb upward in all three categories. We're in more debt today as Americans than we've ever been before. And then you can add into us, look at our national debt. What are we doing? We're just filling a bank account. We're filling our bank accounts on credit. We're filling our homes on credit. We're filling our storage spaces on credit. We're doing all these things to keep things, but we're doing it with money that we're borrowing as well as the money that we're putting in our bank so that we can pay back the creditors. So we're caught up in this cycle of filling accounts, whether it be a credit debt account or be a a bank account where we're spending or saving, right? And I think about this, and then along comes a pastor and a church say, hey, be generous. (laughs) Well, I can't be generous. Look at all the stuff I've got to pay for, right? That's That's part of the problem. See, this is all part of it. And so we say this, and so a lot of church, uh, churches will tell you the biblical standard of giving financially is how much? 10%. What's G- According to this passage, what is Jesus' percentage? 100%. So when people come to me and say, well, I can't tithe, Pastor, I say, well, all right, well, then go with what Jesus said, 100%. 10% or 100%, you know. It's all relative, isn't it, right? But I know we all wrestle with this, right? I've wrestled with it. I remember when I was wrestling with it, 
as a pastor, uh, I was a pastor, a starting pastor, starting salary, and I was trying to figure out how to move our family towards tithing. And, um, and I, you know, we were probably given maybe 5%, not 10% at the time. And I would kept wrestling with this, you know, I got to talk about generosity and you're a pastor and sometimes pastors don't always give what we're asking, you know, we got to practice what we preach. So I'm wrestling with that, right? And uh, so this family comes in to my office and I don't know if I've shared, I may have shared this story before, but this family comes in, uh, a husband and wife and three kids, kids are all in hand-me-down clothes. Dad is a welder mom's stay-at-home mom, dad's a tradesman, a welder. He just got a new job as a welder in a different company, and he was making more money. And uh, so he comes in my office with his family. All five of them come in, sit down in my office, and they say, Pastor, we really love our church. We love what our church is doing, and we've been praying about it, and we've been praying about what we're to give to the church to help the ministry here. And so we know, they said, we know the biblical standard is 10%, and we, we really want to do 10%. But as we've prayed about it, we feel like God's asking us to do 15%. To give 15% of our income, our single income with three kids, to what God's doing. And that said something to me. The pastor who was struggling to give 5%. <laughs> See how that... And God convicted me in that moment. I felt like that family came into my office to convict me. And maybe that's why they, because they prayed about it. And they were listening to God about it. And God told them to do this. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe this is a little too much individualistic thinking on my part. But sometimes I think God sent them into my office to say that just to me. To say, Pastor, get your house in order. Get your generosity in order. Get your heart in order right? Because their hearts were in order. Wow. Think about it. Are we filling our bank accounts because we're attracted to stuff? Or are we filling them so that we can be devoted to God and other people and blessing other people? Is God blessing us to be a blessing? Or is God blessing us to bless ourselves? It's a good question. So here's my advice when you do earn more money, give more away. See, that's the part where it gets, we get the raise, we get the, the bonus, we get more money coming into our pocket, and our immediate reaction, my immediate reaction anyway, is, oh, I can get this now. I can do this now. I can spend it on this now, right? I start to think about ways to spend the new money that I'm getting rather than think about ways that I can give away some of the money that I'm now being, that's increasing in my life. So what if every time you received more money, you thought about giving more money away, just as a practical consideration? There's one other area of generosity that I think doesn't apply to possessions and doesn't apply just to money or possessions, but I think the other thing we do as Americans really well is we fill our calendars. So we, we fill our storage spaces, we fill our bank accounts, and we fill our calendars up. And you know what we do with our calendars is the same stuff we do with our storage space. <laughs> you know, we see a blank on the counter. Oh, yeah, I'll fill that in, right? If something comes along, opportunity comes along, we fill in the blanks. We fill them in. We 
store, just like our storage spaces, we tend to fill our calendars to the fullest because we're trying to live life to the fullest. We think that a full life is a busy life. And so when we do is we, I've actually seen some calendars in people's lives that have, like they're writing not only on the days in the calendars or typing in the days, but they actually, if you have a paper calendar, I've seen people scribble in the margins of their calendars to keep track of what's going on in that day. Anybody with me on this? Anybody? Right? And what I love about uh, books not digital readers, is because when I read a digital reader, I have to bring it, and then I have to like zoom it out, you know, and so there's no margin on my iPad. What I love about a physical book is there's a margin, and that margin, that white space actually helps me to focus, helps me to be clearer in what I'm looking at, because my brain needs that kind of white space to read, something about the human brain that needs that space, that margin. I would suggest to you that you and I need margin as well in our calendars. And here's what I mean by margin. Well, God said, first of all, take a Sabbath, right? If God took a day off, who's all-powerful, we need to as well. We're not all-powerful. We're human beings. But here's what I'm thinking. If you have no margin in your calendar, what do you do when the interruption comes? What do you do when your calendar is interrupted? How do you respond to the interruption? Because sometimes I find as a pastor, even when I'm busy, that it is God who is interrupting me. That God wants me to respond to something in the world that's an interruption to what I've already scheduled. But if I've got no margin, if I've got no space, if, I've got, if I haven't planned out, and here's what I want to tell, tell you to do, schedule margin. Put margin in your calendar. Put some white space on your calendar. Put some days in your life where there is nothing scheduled so that when God interrupts you, you're available. I can't listen to God when I'm busy. I can't be interrupted by God's people when I'm busy. See what the, how that works? Because if I'm too busy, if my calendar is too full, I've got no margin to respond. And sometimes I just need to rest. Too. I just need a margin to rest, to be silent, to spend time in solitude, to allow God to speak into my life. If I'm too busy, I'm not listening. So margin and white space on your calendar, blank space on your calendar is a good thing. I want you to take that with you today. I want you to think blank space on my calendar is a good thing because I'm creating space and margin for God, for other people, for what God might be doing in my life. So here's my advice. Don't fill your calendar, leave some blanks. Don't fill your calendar, leave some blanks. Leave some time for God to work. Leave some people, some places for people to interrupt you, for God to speak to you. See, I think that overall, our generosity when it comes to possessions or money or time, our generosity is connected to our devotion to God and to other people. The more devoted we are to God and to other people, the less possessions, time, and those things become valuable to us. And so our devotion shifts. Or we can be devoted to those things that we just talked about. It is interesting that there is a correlation between wealth and faith and religious belief. Take a look at these uh, Gallup poll statistics 
from around the world. This is a global perspective. I don't know if you can read where you're at, but here's what it says. Per capita income is between zero and $2,000. Your people who said, they answered the question, is religion an important part of your daily life? People who made, had per capita income under $2,000 around the globe, 95% of them said yes. Faith, religion is very important to me. And then it goes 2,000 uh, people with per capita income, 2,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 12,500, 12,000 to 25,000, and it keeps going down in each of those segments. And those per, who have per capita income of over 25,000, 47% said faith is important, religion is important. So what you can see here is there's, the more money people make, the less devotion to God. I'm, I'm making that assumption. And that the less money we make, and some of that could be education and connections there, but I want to suggest this, that I think Jesus was right when he said, go sell your possessions and follow me. He was saying, your possessions, all this stuff, all your wealth is actually keeping you from devotion to, to God and to other people. It's getting in the way of your devotion. And so to become mature, to become complete, we have to find ways to let go of those things that are keeping us from being devoted. Might I suggest this? Maybe I'm trying to take the easy way out. But what if you and I started to increase our devotion to God? And as we increase our devotion to God and other people, maybe our devotion to these other things will be decreased. So I'm actually taking the chart and I'm flipping it around and saying, let's reverse that, right? Let's become more devoted to God than our wealth. Let's become more devoted to other people than our stuff. And if we'll just start working on our devotion, then all of a sudden we find ourselves letting go of the stuff and letting go of those other things. B.T. Roberts, who was the founder of Methodism, sorry, Free Methodism, I'm learning all about free Methodism these days. B.T. Roberts said this. He said, one effect of true holiness is to make us deeply interested in various benevolent enterprises. It takes us out of ourselves. It enlists our energies on behalf of interests that have, me, have no direct bearing on our personal affairs. We give our time and money for that which brings us neither profit nor reputation. I love that he says the effect of true holiness. I could translate that devotion. The effect of devotion is it begins to make us deeply interested in the things of God and the things going on in our world and the things that are happening to other people. It shifts us. It radically shifts us. And it shifts us to exactly where God wants us to be. Let's pray together.